This is episode four of the Filmmaking the Hard Way podcast. I am Josh Folan, and as is always the case, I am having a coffee today with a talented filmmaker that works in the low to micro budget filmmaking space. Today's coffee is with Greg Emita, who, uh, amongst many other things that he is not crediting himself with on this film, uh, is the writer, director, and editor of the feature film Camp Wedding. Let's get rolling. I am here with Greg Emita. And we are discussing his film uh, Camp Wedding, which, full disclosure, uh, much like the first couple of episodes, uh, I worked on this film with Greg, so I have uh, probably a little more insight than I would have with the filmmaker that I had not worked with about the project specifically, uh, but we certainly, you know, we'll cover all the bases anyways, and we'll try to make it organic, and I'll try to act like I don't know it all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Should be interesting. Yeah. Uh, so just ripping right into it, the first thing uh, I like to ask is, the first dollar earned as an entertainment industry professional for you. What was the job and how did you score it? Oh, wow. Okay. So I wonder if I can claim this. Um, It's probably the most interesting one that I can claim, uh, at least in terms of acting, maybe, is sometime just out of grad school, I like really, you know, I was like just trying to become famous or something and like auditioned for a reality TV show. And when I got there, it turned out that it was like a... They were like, you know, have you seen The Apprentice? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I know what that's about. They're like, well, we're going to do what The Apprentice did for business. We're going to do for pimping. And it was like <laughs> this crazy this reality the, show. This is the, uh, this is the exact uh, first entrance into the entertainment industry. I'm like, this makes a ton of sense. This is like, what, yes. this is what someone's first entertainment thing should be. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's definitely my first broadcast, maybe. So... So I had to like deal with an out of control hoe. I had to advertise my hoes to all of America. I had to like come up with a whole like shtick, which was I was Garfield. As like an audition I don't, deal? Yes, yeah. yes. That was like they were like, well, you need to have like an angle. Like, what do you have? And I was like, well, I could be the nice gay pimp, like non-threatening. And the, I like I, you know, I was like, well, my name I guess has to be like you know pet and street. So I was Garfield Idaho. And I there was like I was like saying things like I'm going to bring pimping into the 21st century. You know, it was crazy. And then... Does this video exist anywhere? I, I wish. But what happened was, like, I left and I was like, wait, how could they do a show about, like, quote, like illegal activity? You know, because it wasn't like... I was like, maybe it's based in Nevada. I don't know. You know, and then about a month later, they called me and they're like, oh, remember when you did that audition? I'm like, how could I possibly forget? I was... Because I was actually, I was actually mugged in Washington, D.C. later that day. Still the pimp experience and being totally put in this pimp outfit that was all like purple velour, way more disturbing. That's what I had to wear for the very first feature I ever did. Really? A a purple velour-ish pimp outfit. It was a Halloween costume, supposedly. This is clearly (laughs) why our our connection. This is our connection. (laughs) So anyway, they they were like, oh yeah, we liked your audition. It turns out the show is actually not a real show. It's a reality show about people desperately trying to get on television. But we really liked your audition and we'd like to pay you for it. So I got like a hundred bucks. Which to this day is the most I've ever made for acting. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. That, that's a good question. That's, that's a good answer. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, uh, moving into uh, hopefully more serious matters or semi more serious. Uh, the project, your elevator pitch of it. Uh, I just say destination wedding at a haunted summer camp. 
That is very succinct. Love it. <laughs> yeah. uh, and what were your, uh, what was slash were, are your roles on it? And how did you and the project first align? And I know, obviously, the answers to these, but yeah, it's for, for the purpose of the listener. <laughs> how, did I, how did I, like, meet this project that originated in my mind? Yeah. Um, That's such uh, an eloquent way to put it, though. Too. Well, I, That's why I'm asking these questions. Oh, my God. Stop. Stop buttering me up. What's this? So, I, you know, like, I, I was both the writer and director... And like, yeah. What produce, are all your job roles on this? I mean, I was, just do we need a scratch paper for this? Editor, <laughs> visual effects, whatever. Yeah, I mean, um, so I had a lot of obviously lots of involvement, lots of hyphens associated with it. Um, it actually starts with the first real film I ever made called Neat Freak, which was about a kind of obsessive compulsive poltergeist. So it was like people, you know, it was like a bunch of roommates and I, the idea was like, they get into a new apartment, they have a welcome party, the next morning it's all cleaned up and everyone's like, oh, thanks for cleaning up. And everyone's like, I didn't clean up. And it was this whole thing of like this unseen force that was just like cleaning the apartment. And then of, of course the cleaning eventually became homicidal and someone got like vacuumed to death. Of course. You know, anyway, so <laughs> I'd made that in grad school and my friend Cara, who was in the movie, uh, she was like, you really should like revisit that. And for years we talked about like kind of coming back to it. And we had an idea of like a cabin up somewhere in the woods that her family had and shooting something there. And it was all about us turning 30 and anxiety around that. Flash forward to us getting into the next decade. And we finally <laughs> sort of got this thing together right after she got married at a summer camp. And so I was like, oh, I think I don't remember quite how it happened, but we both sort of came to this idea of like, what about a kind of version of Neat Freak about all of us at a wedding at a summer camp. Now, at the time, I did not realize, and I'm serious about this, that summer camps were like a major horror-like location. That had not occurred to me. <laughs> and I just started doing research. And I like then found out that Friday the 13th happens at a summer camp. I did not know these things. You really? Yes, I know this is crazy. You did not just forget it. You didn't, you were not aware. You'd never seen Friday the 13th. No, I'd never seen it. That's crazy. I saw, <laughs> I remember seeing a short at some festival where they were making fun of the counselors at Camp Silver Lake. You've or, actually told, yeah, I did know. Yeah, that yeah, yeah. And I was like, I kind of was like, oh, there's something about summer camps and, you know. So that's slowly, but even, I think I'd Have you the seen Friday the 13th yet? Oh, yes. Okay. <laughs> I've seen at least two or three of them. I think I saw the remake first because Netflix likes to send you those. Okay. And I'm like, oh, like I saw the remake of The Fog before seeing the real. It's really frustrating, but I've That's had that separate. That's the wrong separate. way to go, for yep. sure, yeah. Same thing with Friday the Although it could maybe help you in the way that your expectations then will be so lowered that you'll be, the original will just blow you away. That's, you know, that's that's what happened with Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah. Like the f- Which is fucked up. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, it's also like, how can you compare to like Johnny Depp and like crop tops? Anyways, yeah. they did not do a good job there. No. Anyways, so, so, um, oh God, circling around. So I was, <laughs> I really wrote the whole script and then started doing research on horror movies because even though I'd kind of always done these sort of quasi horror things, I was like, well, I should just see about it. And I got really, and now I'm like a crazy, like obsessed with them person. But seriously, I didn't think about that. And so that's kind of how it started. And Cara was just like, well, you have to make this and just kept sort of, we threw out a deadline. And I think we were supposed to make it the year before and then it just didn't quite come together. And then, yeah, and then it, um, and then we tried another year and then it actually happened. So Met with, what the fuck was the name of that place we met on 50th and? Oh, where did, 
was an Aubin pan or we, no? We met at a Pret a Manger. Yeah, yes, that's Pret a Manger. Yeah, just meeting me at one of those. That's all. I'll tell I you, just right? remember. <laughs> <Skype-ing> <laughs> with you. Yeah. Um. Okay. So, and again, this is something I 100% know the answer to, but just hearing it from the person that dealt with it most uh, closely, how much time was spent fundraising is the question, and what were the sources and percentages of those sources? <laughs> You're not even modifying the question. So, so I, had, I had done crowdfunding for a previous short, and so I kind of felt like I'd already asked all friends of mine to contribute money, and I also, like maybe haven't quite like fulfilled some of the like uh, gift requirements associated with that because I was waiting forever to finish a DVD with special features. It's a long story. Anyway, so I just was like, (laughs) I can't ask everyone for money again. Um, Well, just generally, step one of a crowdfunding campaign is jumping out the window. (laughs) It was also horrible. It was a horrible experience. Like it was really intense. Yeah, no, of course. It's it's a 60-hour-a-week job. Uh, On the low side, probably, if you're going to have any hope of getting to the finish line, if you're trying to raise any substantial amount of money. Um, also, it was funny yeah. because I felt like I was posting constantly and being awful. And then someone was like, I've heard some rumblings about a film of yours online like on Facebook. <laughs> and I'm like, rumblings? I feel like I'm screaming constantly and I've lost all my friends, you know. So I, having that experience, I was like, I think I'm just going to like see how cheaply we can make this and just use all my own savings and just go kind of broke and go into some credit card debt. And... That's why when I like I approached you, filmmaker behavior. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. I think I remember approaching you and like everyone I had talked to was like, "Can we uh, get? Can you fundraise more money for this? Like, how can you increase the budget?" And I was like, "This is it." And then you were like, "Oh, I made a movie for like less than that just the other day." And I, was like, I was like, "How can I scare you in other ways?" So. And then you somehow got the job. Uh, yeah. so, so small, small amounts of money is not the way to do that, for sure. <laughs> uh, okay, so nuts and bolts, then. I'll just fire these off real quickly, and you fire them back to me. And uh, How many shoot days? 13. How many script pages? Um, of the script that we shot, 100. Okay. Number of speaking roles? 10. Average daily crew headcount? Oh, I'd have to... That's like a calculation. Um, let's see. We got nothing but time, Greg. Okay. okay. <laughs> Wait, I'm just going to... You can cut this part out. Let's see. Uh, does that include me? Sure. Okay. Right. It's your computation, not mine. <laughs> you can include whoever you want. <laughs> Hair and makeup. Let's see. Um, production design. Costume. Costume. Um... We had do you, including PAs, kind of. Am I including Chelsea? Okay. That's <laughs> why so I said you can include and exclude whoever you'd like. I'd say roughly f- between thirteen and fifteen. Okay. Number of locations. Uh, it depends on how you define that. Like we basically had one summer camp, and that was the entire movie. Uh, we never really went anywhere. I mean, the furthest away we so, went was like a drive out, like down the street. And within the summer camp, there were like separate locations. There was like, you know, the playhouse we had. We had the cafeteria or mess hall. We had the cabins. basically just cabins on that one location. Yeah, it was all basically the same place. Uh, That was part of the plan. Yeah, yes. Uh, One location is, yes, a very good plan for small amounts of money. Uh, This this is my favorite one of these. 
estimated cost per plate for meals and from whom those meals were sourced. You could answer that question I better could. than me. I'm not. <laughs> at, I'm a, it's for the same thing. Katie, Katie was a producer on Astro Chain, so the same thing. Like, I don't know. You answer that. <laughs> uh, take a take a take a stab at it. You had to write the check, Greg. Um, I know. I remember, <laughs> I remember these. But it all came in these pieces. And at the time, I was probably freaking out about the location <laughs> we could talk about. Um, uh, I mean, it, it had, couldn't be more than like three, five dollars. <laughs> That's super low. Uh, Joe, Joe, oh, didn't Joanne didn't do that one? Sorry. That was, uh, what were those guys' names? It was based, uh, global. Based in Jersey, yeah. Yeah. I forget the guy's name now. Well, uh, I, I forgot that it eight? wasn't Joanne. But yes, they would still be sad if they if they thought that they were being paid or, uh, or that they thought that their services were worth $3 a plate. <laughs> I don't... That's low. It was probably... I, I don't, I'm not sure either offhand, I mean, but I would guess probably a, nine or ten bucks a plate, maybe. Oh, okay. Um, still. But yes, they were basically a small indicator um, that was okay, based in New Jersey that were okay with that you know small headcount. Uh, it's just—it's just funny to me to have that question there because it's like, I don't know. I've said it's like this. a Lucille Bluth question, like how much would a banana cost? Fifteen dollars. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's just the thing with you know uh, providing food is like the baseline. Yes. Thing to get productivity out of a film shoot and yes. a film crew, you know. So like, the idea of uh, fixating that that on that as one of your little production variables is funny to me. No, that's fine. I digress. Yeah. Uh, where are you at in the production timeline flowchart? Um, just to get some context on this. Uh, is this flowchart that's posted somewhere in this room? I don't know. Uh, do you fucking have it posted on some room in, <laughs> back in New York? Um, is your apartment big enough to have said flowchart posted oh on the God, wall? God, the flowchart <laughs> is like... Um, yeah, no, I, uh, that would be... I mean... Hmm. We're basically at the point where we're almost at like kind of sound, like the the surround sound mix is literally coming to me tonight. Okay. And at that point, the only thing that remains is like some little VFX tweaks. So, which... Still fucking tweaking? Hey! On picture. You gotta be kidding me. That's via, it's via, it's like little VFX thing. Come on. It's me literally changing text messages. Most films don't have this level of text messaging. Um, And it's just changing like some little syntax that I haven't quite carried through the whole film. Just just to give some context to a listener on this tone between us. This has been a very, when did this project start? Let's just say the presidential election hadn't happened yet. So it was, it would have been the summer of 2016. Okay. We, yeah. Yes. Uh, that's when I came on board. And I got, well, just again, what was the development timeline with the script prior to that? Uh, well, it depends on, I mean, you know, this, the film that I talked about it was based on was from 2002. Right. But like the script. When's this iteration, this full concept, I mean, clearly you have little minute. It was, but... like I said, there was supposed to be a year before, but like the script I don't think was even quite finished at that point. There was like a treatment. So I'd say two years before that, it was okay. like for that period of time I was bringing into the shelter, which is a kind of New York theater group where you can bring in like 10 pages at a time. And I did that. They even did a reading. Then I brought in other pages. So at least two years. Okay. So 2014 right. then, say ish. And then 
getting into yep. a pre-production sort of deal in 2016 when I came on. Don't horrify uh, me with this timeline. Yeah. <laughs> and then, well, you also didn't really say it, but the it is going to be premiering. Uh, it's starting its festival run, too. Yes. Uh, what, in, was that the second week of March? Third yeah, week? March, we, it'll be March 8th. March 8th, will yes. be our world premiere. Right. Um, and where is that? That is in, um, uh, why am I, Durham, North Carolina. Yes. Sorry. There's so many cities, it's the Tri-City area. Yeah, the Nevermore so, Film Festival, yes. Exactly, Nevermore. Yes, so... From, yeah, 2014 to premiering with asses and seats looking at it uh, in March of 2019. It's a long process. <laughs> it is a long process. And so, we've already covered, Greg is working with a number, or, or uh, tasked with a number of responsibilities on it while juggling a real life. So right. uh, that, you know, he has defenses in the argument, but it has been a long timeline that I've been harping on him about, about, about getting it done. He's, he's very particular. Greg is very particular. Hey. It's, I don't feel like the harping was that intense. It could have been more. You know, like there was no deadline. There was well, no see, it's, 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 it's a tough place to be when – because usually as a producer, you're this buffer between a financing entity that is wondering when the hell are we going to start monetizing this and then the creatives who are outputting the material. So to not – for that to be the same person puts you as the producer in a place like he knows yeah, <laughs> yeah. the the downside of taking longer. Like right. I can't, you know. <laughs> What's the downside? No, I just feel like oh, I'm getting older. That's like my big downside. Yeah, no. Yes, it was. It was nice to. I mean, I feel like as a first project, as a first feature, it was kind of nice to have that time because originally I was like, I just need to put a rough assembly together. Then I'll work with an editor, and then that just turned into the the whole movie so i mean there was a deadline which was that rough cut at uh anthology in new york like someone just reached out to me and was like hey i heard you're working on a like have a feature can you get us a rough cut by i think it was it was not it was the next january sometime and so i just like had to crazy i mean i must have edited the second half of the movie which is like 45 minutes or something in like a week it was pretty crazy, but that was a good deadline to have. So, to I was going to say, time. that's a, that's a, a good uh, example of how motivating deadlines can be. Even, even you know, you yeah. mentioned a self-imposed one earlier that, that helped get the ball rolling, yep. you know. Um, so yeah, the best ones are the ones where other people are involved, and it's like you've started rolling a giant, like, uh, ball of yarn over a hill, right. and it's attached to you, and then it starts rolling on the other side, and you can't stop it. <laughs> yeah, a lot yeah, more yeah. energy than just letting it roll. Right, yeah. No, no question. Okay, so all that context stuff out of the way. Uh, the most notable constraint of the project to you. So, you know, clip money is, is the obvious answer to that. Uh, but not having, what did not having an enough, in quotations of that, make most difficult for you? Not having enough money, yeah. Um, that's a good question. Really, it just constricted how many shooting days we had. Because we only, you know, we made this deal for the camp and I feel like it really was a time situation. I mean, we like sucked those 13 days dry for real. Um, And that is what felt like, oh, if we even had one more day, but one more day meant more food. It meant negotiating something else with the camp. You know, the camp already was more expensive because of what happened was we were supposed to go to another camp that was really cheap. But it turned out to be a bit of a weird 
story where it was supposed to be this nice organization that had a camp that happened to be in a state park and it turned out that they were trying to do a deal with us and ignore the state park and then the state park found out about it and this is a week before we started shooting and we suddenly had to find another camp so that camp kind of knew that they had us over a barrel because we couldn't exactly change everything at the last minute so so i think that was the that would still be i think time um really nothing else felt like it's not like if we had a ton more money, I would have been like, oh, we could have had like all these bigger lights or anything. That would have just made it even have to go longer, you know. So I One feel like parts, yeah. in some ways the that was really the only constraint that I feel like, oh, you know, we probably would have all been a little more sane if we'd had like two more days. Or as Fritz said, like, oh, we could have really, you know, but we actually somehow, and thanks to him, largely Fritz was our um, AD on it got we shot every single page like we really cut nothing there were some shots we didn't quite get but like i don't even i sort of can't even remember those things now well it's been so long right well there's, <laughs> hey there's some inserts that i did shoot later so uh yeah it's funny that you mentioned the the you know uh losing the location because they were trying to do it basically without the actual decision maker being involved and just make some money on you uh that same exact thing happened to me it didn't work it ended up working out but i catch 22 we got so this apartment building um it was being renovated it was like a three-floor deal in, in carroll gardens and uh, my buddy Shawnee knew this dude who was a construction worker, an Irish construction worker who's a total fucking interesting dude, to, would be the nice way to put it. And uh, he was dating, he was do he had this job because he was dating the granddaughter of the woman who owned the building. So, oh, it sounds like it's full, yeah, this is foolproof. Already, this is yeah, be amazing. Yeah, super legit already. So she lived in the ground floor of it. They were renovating the two floors above. And basically, <laughs> he's like, well, we're, we're in that place. We're, we're not. We're working the middle floor. The ground, the top floor is not. We're not to it yet. So if you need it for a month to shoot, sure. Uh, you know, no one's in it. So we're like, okay. And we got to like, okay, we need the old woman to sign the thing. He's like, ah, don't worry about that. I'm like, we'll just just give us the money. And don't worry about it. You know. So Whoa. and like the, the crazy thing was the granddaughter was down with it. You know. Uh, so it was interesting. She was, she, crazy like, she, was down, she was down with it, but, like, you could see she was a little, like, unsure. Like, maybe he had talked her into it, you know? Uh, and they, whatever, split the money or something. But, yeah, the whole time we were shooting and leading up to it, I'm like, Shawnee, like, dude, obviously, man, this is not on the up and up. We could at any second lose this this place while we're shooting. So we were fucking terrified of that. Uh, but it ended up working out, so. Those, oh. are, the, those are the risks you have to take as, as a indie filmmaker, I guess, is the point of that. Well, yeah, we, we basically found out that, like, had that even worked, we could have been shut down at any time. Yeah. Just, and it would have been sure. a disaster. Of course. So it was actually in the... It also apparently had bears everywhere. And <laughs> I, I think the other... It was a blessing in disguise because the place we ended up was much more manageable. Like, the cabins that I was thinking people would think were fun and rustic, everyone was like, those places are fucking frightening. Like, <laughs> in the square, I don't know. But, like, it was... Like, had we been there, everyone would have been in the, like, nightmare places that no one wanted to sleep in, you know. So, that it was good. 
Yeah. When you said the the owners of the new new camp were helpful as hell too, right? They, they were great. Yeah. I mean, they were also complicated. I mean, there were we were surrounded by Trump signs at this camp. There were Priuses with Trump bumper stickers, which was very confusing to us. <laughs> they were lovely people though. It just, you know, we just did not bring up the election. But seriously, we were framing out like this array of Trump signs. Like that were at the entrance of the camp where we were shooting. And then while we were shooting, someone put up across the street a massive banner that was homemade saying like Team America, you know, make America great again. It was wild. That sounds wild. (laughs) It should have been some indication of what would happen in November. (laughs) Uh, Okay, so that's the constraint. Talk to me about a memorable benefit. You kind of maybe just somewhat brushed up against this, but uh, talk to me about a memorable benefit of having less than an ideal amount of money. Um, you know, I often find that having th- that some you have some, having restrictions monetarily forces you to come up with creative solutions that you otherwise wouldn't have bothered to come up with and very often they will serve the end product and what really you're trying to do uh because you're forced into that creativity. So, is there anything that comes to mind? I mean, I feel like oh, everything comes to mind because <laughs> it's just so many things that it's hilarious when people think that we planned it or did it on purpose or somehow manufactured something that was just there. Like, um, I mean, the production designer, Kate Rance, who's amazing, did such a good job of like filling in all these places and making our few props work. But like, ultimately, the spaces themselves were amazing and just felt so authentic because they were, it was a real camp. It was a camp that operated during the summer and we were just after they were there. And there was like graffiti everywhere, all this kind of detail that would have been so hard to like come up with Mm. on our own. And there's a moment in the end of the movie when everyone is like running out to this dock in the lake and there's like mist like billowing off the lake. And people have asked me like, oh, did you have smoke machines? And I'm like, (laughs) no, are you kidding? We didn't have money for smoke. And I was like... Things I would ne- not even have thought of. Especially smoke machines that would work outside for like a right. long shot. Yeah, I'm trying to think. We also had like, there were these fans that like created this kind of noir like pattern that we used during the filming that we would have never thought of. And we just sort of happened to see that that was happening because we were just using the lights that were really in the space. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, I can't, it just feels like the whole thing kind of felt like that. And a lot of people, I think, read it like the the location is just it somehow like makes it seem more expensive than it really was. So the other thing that I think we we ended up working with a DSLR camera and not like a red camera, even though that there was that was an option. Like we could have like the DB owned a red. But when we looked into it, um, it was just we didn't have the kind of lighting to do that. So he had a uh, this Sony camera that I'm going to like blank on, but I could look up probably that is really good in low light. And so we made the decision. Oh, that's Wasn't it like an A seven or something. Yeah, like something that? like that. Yeah. yeah, it's it's the little it's tiny I'm awful little camera. So that I can, yeah, I can remember that correct. <laughs> and uh, and I was like, well, we'll just use an anamorphic adapter. And I've got all these old lenses. And he's like, oh, let me check them out. And then he's like, these are great. They're old Pentax like film camera lenses that we shot with. And we just added the anamorphic adapter because I wanted, I knew there was going to be a lot with like cell phones with the flashlight on. And I wanted that like Spielberg era, like lens flare that's horizontal that you get from the anamorphic that now JJ Abrams is apparently like having, you know, separation anxiety from or whatever. So 
that, you know, all of that was great because that ended up like creating this really great look to everything that I don't think we would have gotten even like the other film I shot, uh, worked with the DP on, like we had like all this fancy stuff, but it quite, you know, it, it has a different look. It doesn't quite have this sort of eighties film, like, and you know, the horror movies from that period, they all look like they're cheap, you know, and they have this kind of quality, but it, it now is sort of elevated. And like that kind of patina, once you throw a little grain in, you know, uh, people, you know, really seem to respond to it. So I think all of that was, and it was of course super cheap. We didn't have to rent lenses. You know, we're just using these, like one of them is from a camera I had from high school, you know? That's yeah. The camera one, that's definitely in the vein of exactly what we're hunting for with that question there. That's good. Uh, (laughs) good job. We did a good job there. Uh, (laughs) do you, do you recall an instance? So that was a question for you, limitations and benefits for you and you from your perspective. Do you recall an instance of someone else on the production cast or crew, I guess, uh, overcoming low budget constraints that's worth sharing, you know, like, Seeing something you were, where the end result was like, holy shit, I didn't think they have the resources to do that. <laughs> wow. Like, you um, mentioned Kate did a great job. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Kate, they, like, found stuff. They were finding things like, they're like, oh, yeah, we, apparently they have a wheelbarrow there. You know, like, they found all this stuff to, like, dress things. They found a lot of old toys. We have this one scene that's in, like, a kind of old toy cabin. And they just sort of sourced all this random stuff from around the camp. I think we even were, well, here's an example. We were going to rent picture cars um, because we had this one scene, which I won't give away necessarily, but we needed like a cop car, but it had to be kind of a busted cop car. And the costume designer's car kind of looked exactly like what we needed. And he was like, yeah, I think it's kind of right on. And so we ended up just like using his car and that was fantastic. And it looked perfect. And we even, we also used the makeup, uh, makeup designer's car as the other car that we needed. So we basically, yeah, I mean, that I, I guess I'm trying to think of specific so you, to a department. You, I, you also used the owner of the... We were supposed to, we oh, were, because we needed a Prius. In the script, it said Prius. Right. But then his Prius that we were Had going to use <laughs> wasn't quite the kind of people that we were, you know, the movie was about. Um, but would have been an interesting touch. But we were supposed to have a Prius, and then we, it, it, like, it apparently he... Something happened, and I won't go into it, but apparently it got into a small accident on the property. Who knows what that's about? And so he was repairing it for the rest of the shoot. So fortunately, we didn't work with it. It just I think that happened before we could have used it. And so we used the, the hair and makeup. We were like, well, it looks Prius-like. You know, It looks sort of non-threatening, which is sort of the idea. <laughs> uh, the biggest mistake you personally have made on the project to date? Oh, my God. Um... Ugh, that's a good question. There's every every one of the people I've talked to so far, like this is the one where they go, "Oh fuck, that's okay." It's Hold a, on a it's a <laughs> mean. It's mean. Um, uh, I mean, I'm trying to think of. Uh, I'm trying to think of spe- something that's a little bit more specific than like could have uh, cut something out of that last there one a few scenes um <laughs> i mean i'm i would say that the things that i like m- when i watch it now the things that frustrate me are all writing things like they're like i wish i would have spent more time with um this especially this one scene that like now i think we've kind of like 
edited into something that is a little bit more clear or makes the point that like this is supposed to be overwhelmingly complex and ridiculous and like people the last time i screened it people actually laughed at that scene i was like good this is where it's supposed to be it's not supposed to be like oh that's what's happening it's supposed to be like this is ridiculous okay you know? <laughs> so i i think the biggest mistake was uh for me personally was i wish and part of it was you know having so many hats on this i wish i'd spent you know, had like another month of working on the script when I was probably dealing with the craziness of um, um, like the location changing, you know, like all that stuff. Uh, really, I'm trying to think if there was another. No, I mean, there's really little else I regret and I feel very blessed, but I think that's I wouldn't. I'm not going to say I'm responsible for those things. I'm just going to say that I feel like I lucked out in so many ways, like with cast wise, all these things. I feel really lucky how it all worked out. We had like some last minute shuffles in that department, which I think ultimately went really well. So, um, yeah, I think that's, uh, I mean, yeah. That's I I hate okay I think that's like that. a bullshit. I didn't make any mistakes. Don't worry about it. Sure. No, I, <laughs> no. Um, no, there's an answer in there. I'm, yeah, I, I guess. I'm with you. Uh, okay, so having having been through and learned much of what you will from this project, being where you're at in it, uh, what is the thing that you most want to do differently on your next project, on your next movie? Well, picking up on that, I think that. I would definitely want to just feel like 100% about the script going in, even if later I'm into like whatever. I mean, this is, comes from being like writer You realize that feeling doesn't exist. Well, <laughs> I'll tell you, okay, not 100. Let's just say. <laughs> or if it does, you're, I think you're a psychopath. Okay. <laughs> I think it's, that's a very good point. It doesn't exist, but. I think I still felt a little like I had just written a completely new ending and then I didn't really have a chance to hone that. I'm happy that happened because like when we did a reading of it, like act three was like kind of a meandering mess and, and it was clear just in the reading, listening to people read it, that that's what it felt like. And then that changed dramatically. And I mean, mostly I'm happy with that, but uh, uh, what I would change, I think also the other thing that I would say is um, I was probably at the initial stages overshooting everything and like working in a, in a, that didn't really reflect the schedule we had by the end of the shoot. Um, Fritz I was whipped in shape. <laughs> no, he did because like, he's like, you get two shots for this. Scene. And I was trying to, and I was that's, actually that's thinking, a good, that's a good idea. Yeah. I was thinking in terms of like how few shots could we get through the scene in, you know, like what do we actually need from this? What could we shoot later? You know, and, and I was also thinking in terms of like, what do we actually need to convey the story? Like, it's no longer important to have some really cool overhead shot or whatever, but like, what is the minimum we need just to get the story across? Um, so I think I would go into the next project with a little bit more of that mentality from the beginning. I, I was planning on like storyboarding things a little bit more going in and that never happened because we were changing like camps and all kinds of other things happened. So I think that would be the biggest difference. I think I'd also think about a little bit more about like what the ultimate, you know, where this is ultimately going. I mean, I have feelings about that, but like in terms of like, is this planning to be, you know, like what's the, what's the market for it, I guess. But I, you know, what's the audience for it on some level? I don't really, you know, I so, feel so like bigger macro things. Like that's something too, do you know what I mean? This little, 
if you sit down, you know, you're sitting down with a studio and you have a whole marketing team to like that has like an understanding of the marketplace, uh, a really defined understanding of the marketplace, and you can like try to create a product. Like I think doing that as an independent filmmaker, like yes, have an idea of who you want to sell this to. Of course, that's just good business sense. I have a dog here. I apologize for the dog. <laughs> oh, I love it. Yeah, yeah. I'm being we, molested. We, we have a court. Yeah, we have a court jester fucking with us for this whole interview here. Oh, it's lovely. Um. Anyways, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's hard. I think very hard to, to really do that. There's just you need so many. I think exterior opinions to really do that well. And as an independent filmmaker, you just don't have those resources. And I think it's much more important to just find the story that means enough to you that would go through this process to tell and tell it and like you know. Well, I, I actually agree with that completely. And I, I sort of think it's BS to be like, well, what we're really looking for is like a kind Something of Something that's going to hit the 35 like to 40. A, yeah, 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 like, like yeah. an 18 and a half to 27 and a half right. market of like a blah, blah, blah. But I think more what I'm trying to say with this is like I liked, I would love to go into something where I feel like every, you know, it's just honed to the point where I just really, I just am really excited. And, and like I don't feel like I... Like the flaws are going to come later and I'm going to be like, oh, shoot. But like that I'm just I feel like it's super, super this thing that only I could create, I guess, or or that I'm just like really interested um, where I, there aren't any flaws that I'm like kind of going in with like, yeah, I know that's a problem. I just haven't found a solution to it, yeah. you know, like I and I think or like I haven't found the solution that I think is at least workable. Like there's a few things I went in with like I know this scene is a problem or whatever. And I'd love to go in having like honed it to the point where I'm like, okay, like we don't know what's going to happen with the actual filming, but like at least the script to me feels like, okay, like everything is something that I like am excited about or – or um yeah, I mean, I feel like the way I work with feedback is like, it's like a little fortress that I have. This is this metaphor is going to make sense in a second. And like when people, I'm already enjoying it. <laughs> when people give feedback, I think of it like they're like lobbing a kind of cannon or something at the walls of the fortress or they're doing something. And like if I actually, if they say something like, oh yeah, blah, 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 that, you know, I think you should, the main character is actually not the main character. This is the main character. And I'm like, what? Like, really? No. You want a different movie. Then it's like the cannonball sort of bounced off the building. But if someone says something like, yeah, I didn't really understand why that character would do that or why all of a sudden um, that character disappeared or, you know, some kind of logical fallacy or just, just something that seems doesn't make any sense or seems boring. Um, then I feel like the cannonball hits like a turret and it totally collapses. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. I know exactly what you're talking about. You know, like deep down, like I've tried to convince myself that, that that's just going to work, but it doesn't. And even I know that. Right. So I, all I'm saying is I'd love to be in a point where I feel like the fortress is like nothing. It's in, it's as far as I know, impenetrable. And then someone you've had on Rachel Carey, who's a good friend of mine. She's the one that's always like showing up in the throne room and being like, there's sort of a secret entrance to your palace that might be dangerous because someone could come here and assassinate the king. Like she's so good at that. Yeah. I just sent her, she, it occurred to me she hadn't read Mike Isn't I just sent her. So she will do that to me very shortly. <laughs> she is the, she's, she's like, even after like this last reading of mine, she was like, I like it. I have one huge note. <laughs> Which is not, that, that's never a word you want to hear prior to the word note. <laughs> huge. <laughs> no, it's good. She was like, I think your main character is this other character. But in that case, I was like, oh, I, I think I agree. And I've just been resisting that, so... Oh, totally. There's a really good piece of the, the, beginning, the first half of that about the um, understanding of the amount of time you have and your ability to 
get what you need to get done done in a shoot day, scene to scene that you're shooting, understanding what shots do I need to achieve this part of the story, et cetera, et cetera. Like that's something that it's as a first, there's no way you can't, you know, it's like, it's the difference between theory and actual practicality. There's no way to learn that and really get an understanding of it until you're there and you have those constraints and you have to make the decisions and da 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 da. And I don't know, I'm not even sure. I may have said this to you even, but one thing I always do just to throw an actual little fucking, you know, tip in, I guess, uh, or a, a way of trying to like, a defined way to do this is I always sit down with my shot list before I start and I number them. Uh, one to three. I'm like, not, right. and that's not like the order I want to shoot them in. I'm saying like a one I have to have, it's integral to the story. A two is this helps, it's a good shot, I could maybe live without it, and three are totally luxuries, you know? And yeah. I literally, every shot on the thing, have that. So when you're there in the moment and Fritz is bitching at me and telling you, you get two. You can look at your sheet and without having to juggle all the variables that you have to juggle in the moment like that, you have already, it's already numbered that you did in a calm, quiet place before you got on set. Uh, and you, and you have, you know, you know what's important and you can go, all right, we got to get these two ones then, uh, and move on, you know, and that's a really, that's something you can know before you do it. And it, it is a really, um, good thing to know before going, it'd be good to know going into your first project to have that kind of all fucking we actually we totally did that i like sat down and got through like maybe the first 35 pages with the dp hiroshi hara it was amazing we were like at some cafe you know we didn't make it through the whole thing what was funny (laughs) is like so the first few there was like all these one to three shots there were all these three shots that were there that some of them we actually even made it to right but by the end of the shoot it was like my shot list were all ones like it was like there was no even hope of a two, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. but you got, but you're right. I think that that is really an effective yeah. way to do it. 100%. It makes you think really lean. And I mean, you know, clearly everything can change and does change, but, uh, as it's, uh, as I always say, it's good to have a skeleton plan at least, uh, mm-hmm. to fall back on that way. You know, even if you have to change it, you at least have some structure by which to change and not, you're just not, just, it's not all free form, you know? Yeah. Um, and the learning curve on that's pretty like you actually I feel like like by the end of that shoot like I was so much faster at doing that than like at the beginning you know like Fritz even said like I almost quit because you know (laughs) wanting to get all these random I'm like but it's the last shot of the film we have to do 17 takes (laughs) and there's a slider and we're doing a you know right yeah 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 there's like I said there's no way there's just no way to have a grasp of it until you do it you know and you see and you and like you know Obviously, doing that, sometimes you get there, you can have this plan, and it's going whatever, and then you get to a point where, like, this time's up. Right. You didn't get even one of the ones you wanted, you know what I mean? And, like, now I have to figure out, how do I solve that problem as a filmmaker? We can't come back here. We can't shoot this location again. Whatever the constraint is, you know, and, like, coming up with a solution for that even, you know, is something, again, you just can't fucking – can't learn in a theoretical context. You have to fucking just do it, like, okay, and then come up with a solution. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Okay, one that the, I, I wanted to ask, this this is like a, a project-specific thing, because I've been sitting back here watching this whole thing happen uh, to some degree in, in, in the periphery. And uh, so this is a very VXF, VFX-heavy film, a lot, of, a lot of effects in it. Yes and no. Perfect examples to you, no, to me, yes. Uh, but uh, that informs the question even more. What, uh, which is not exactly, a, uh, if it is a lot of them, it's not exactly a customary thing for for the low budget realm. Usually, this is something that costs money, uh, and it, it's an expensive thing too, uh, because of all those hyphens that you have on this, and that it doesn't cost money. It costs you time, obviously, but it doesn't cost you money. Um, did, well, yeah, did you do them all? Did you outsource anything? It was my first question as far as the VFX stuff goes. 
Uh, I outsourced one thing, which is uh, at the beginning, there's this animatronic toy. Right, yeah, right, right. <laughs> Jeff, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. too. And, and like Jeff, who's, uh, who's, who's an old, very old friend of mine. We went to grad school together for lighting design for theater and also Rachel's husband. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he had started doing stuff for her, um, her movie, Ask for Jane. And I went to see like, they She's, were like. So you can hear all the, the, the web of. of yes. <laughs> so incestuous. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's ridiculous. But anyways, he was showing me, you know, Rachel was like, oh, Jeff's done some amazing stuff to eliminate, you know. And I was looking at it and I was like, oh, wow. And I was like, so uh, I have a little project. Like, He's like, well, send it to me and I'll take a look at it. And then he did amazing work to get us to actually sync this movement up with speaking because it was a dolly shot. So there was no way I could do what I did in the rest of the movie, which is just edit around a mouth move to make the lip flap work. Um, So that was the one thing that was outsourced. But everything else I basically did myself. And it wasn't... I had done it on a short, but I found a much better way to do it on this to make it not crazy. But it was still a huge project. (laughs) Right. Okay, so then all that said, because the limitation wasn't money for that traditionally expensive production asset, uh, what limitations, because it was you, what would you say the constraints of this project, the way it was done, was were there any constraints or, or, or limitations imposed on that part of the process because it was just you, because you were doing it all, uh, I guess, other than just time or money? Like, did, you know, I, I guess maybe the question really here is, like, what did you have to go out and teach yourself? You said you streamlined a certain way of doing things. Like, just talk to me about, I guess, maybe what you learned, what changed, what you had to do to accomplish all that, um, that part of it. Sure. So I'll explain what the the big aspect of it is. Basically, the movie uh, has a lot of communication via text message and sort of social media. and Which was one of the things that appealed to me most about it. Right? Oh, that's cool. <laughs> it did not appeal to someone. I sent it to like a screenwriting competition and the feedback was like, how could, can you imagine watching just pages and pages of this film that are all text messages? Right. And well, I was like. Because they're looking at the thing in the, in, the arc, in the archaic way of doing it where you're showing the phone or something, like finding a a clever way to do that yes and and not fuck up the action is well, what that was my first question do you remember that when i read the script my first question was like uh it's interesting and i think it's very it has a lot of potential tell me how you're going and then you sent me your short yeah and i was like oh okay okay let's go <laughs> no, <laughs> well so yeah i mean to put this way so traditionally or like kind of at that time i think that you saw this starting to be used in a, like the um sherlock show House of Cards, too. House of Cards started doing it, too, yeah. Where instead of, I mean, the sort of traditional ways you show, like, an insert of the phone and you see someone's text message. makes you want to jump off the fucking Which, um, (laughs) which I kind of, I don't know. I'm talking to Peter. You read that script and you talked to Peter. Yes. He he has a script that's heavy on the text and he's thinking about, I'm like, I'm like, Peter, I'm like, I'm I'm about to fucking put my head through a wall. Like, no, you cannot cut to a phone. No, No, I've seen them, people still doing it. But but I had seen, I had seen when I made this short. Maybe for one, but not a whole. Well, it's funny because the, oh my God, now I'm like, thank the ones that we did were so much harder to work with. Those inserts with like a green screen on the phone is still a nightmare. That's what I'm like, still like, ugh, I have to figure out how to record. (laughs) Anyway, so... Um, I'd seen like the Sherlock version or something and I made a short where I was like, we didn't have much time to shoot. It involved like us going up on the Eiffel Tower and, you know, it's a little sort of guerrilla short thing that we're actually probably going to release shortly before this opens because I haven't put it online yet. So, um, so look out for, get the F 
space space K out of Paris. Um, <laughs> Most uh, search query friendly title ever. <laughs> none of my camp weddings. Well, actually, camp weddings terrible because it's like you just get a bunch of weddings. We even had like a wedding photographer write to the Facebook page offering their services. It's really funny. Yeah, 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 yeah. I was like, "There's no gore in your show. What are you talking? There's no blood." We like, could have used the fucking uh, still photographer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, this would be great for your career. Like, just come and shoot our wedding. Yeah. So, um, I d- so what I decided to do was like just really lean into that and have all the text messages just be these like kind of floating um, texts that popped up on the phone. So you'd see someone in kind of a medium shot or a close up with their phone, and the text would just sort of float next to the phone. And when I did it for the short, I literally went through and frame by frame tracked the phone with like motion points, and it took fucking forever i mean it was like (laughs) i remember being at like this local cafe just and i would do like one text and it would be like two hours and i'd have like two coffees and it was insane but i liked the effect and and i uh i talked to like i met another filmmaker who i showed it to and he's like oh i hate when texts are in you know movies it's awful and then i showed him that he's like oh i like this you know it's same effect you had so so i knew that that was possible and so I wrote it like thinking that, but I was like, okay, I'm just going to go way in on this this time. And this will be the end of my movies about miscommunication via text message. Um, so that, so that's what you saw. And I, and I sort of went as far as I could with it. So there's entire scenes where you don't see people. No one really speaks. You're just seeing text communication. But a friend of mine made a very good which point. Is so much representative of the way fucking society works now, which is why you have to have a good streamlined way to do this. So, absolutely sorry. no, no and, but i remember sort of telling uh, uh my friend liza carnelli who's a amazing editor um about this and she was like yeah but um you know what if i didn't bring my glasses like i don't want to have to like read all night and i she made a really good point so i was like oh we could do she's like what about voiceover and so i was like oh we could just voice over them as well and actually that was a really fun part of the process because it sort of added a lot of character to the voices like in the text um, and some people don't like it, but I've decided those people don't understand like the people that didn't bring their glasses. And, like, <laughs> the reading is a lot, so I've just you know I'm like the clarity to me is really important. So that well, part- I think I think that's a great point too about the the character insight. You you do lose some of the just physicality or not even physicality, but the the, just the character nuance by forcing it into the person reading it and not getting the voice of the human being who's saying, even if it's via text, you know? Right. Uh, And we, we even have a moment that really sort of dives into that, which is the moment where like uh, one character responds to another character, like via text and just says fine. And it's like the most dangerous text word, like the words fine. Okay. And uh, what is it? No problem are so dangerous because it could be like, no problem. You know, like (laughs) fine. Or it's like, fine. Like, you don't know. There's no tone. And that's actually one way that I sort of pitch the film is I say, like, you know, it's like a wedding comedy, like a wedding sort of rom-com that encounters, you know, sort of arrives at a summer camp horror movie. But since they're communicating exclusively via text, the tone doesn't quite get translated, you know, so there's this conflict. And... Anyway, now I'm getting into like the concept behind it. But, you know, the thing is, what I did is when I went to do it this time, I found out that After Effects had this new motion tracking tool. And what it would do is I could kind of like isolate part of the phone. Often the camera is what you have because it's a single point. And then it would just sort of auto track um, as you, you could almost like play it and it would auto track. It often gets off. 
And, you know, like it's really frustrating the scenes in really wide scenes because they can't, you know, or when someone turns the phone, it's like, oh my God. <laughs> so, but mostly I was able to do it a thousand times faster than doing one frame at a time. And now I've like sort of, you know, gotten it pretty down and it's, it's a, it's almost like fun. Uh, and I've more recently been trying to develop a vocabulary of like, oh, you know, when someone's typing to someone, it's important to have to blah, blah. And then when they send it, it puts their name because I, it wasn't. That's a hell of a, a specialization service, Greg. Yeah. A lot of marketability in that as a sort of outsourcing your, your labor. <laughs> Someday. Well, I think I remember hearing about like what it was like the black swan. I went to some like industry screening of it and like Aronofsky was like, someone was like, how did you do those shots with the mirrors? And he's like, oh, some intern in a basement somewhere painting out frames. <laughs> I was like, I was the intern somewhere <laughs> painting out frames. You know? But it makes you of course feel like, oh, this must be important if I'm going to spend this much time with it. Yeah. Cool. Well, that is pretty much everything I wanted to cover. How can we follow the project and what we touched on the festival thing, but what maybe just reiterate what notable dates are coming up. Turn around oh, yeah. this, so, turn on this is fast, so it's on the, it'll be on the internet gadgets very soon. Oh, wonderful. That's, that's great. Well, March 8th, 9th, and 10th in Durham at the Carolina Theater is the sort of our world premiere. We're screening there. It's a really cool space, actually. It looks like great, and there's some really exciting other films there. So I'm excited for that. And then we're going to be... That's the Nevermore Film Festival. You keep Never not saying Mo- it. So, yeah. The Nevermore <laughs> Film Festival, um, which I've actually had like three other short films at. In Well, not two other at the Nevermore and then one other at this like uh, LGBT festival that also happens at the Carolina Theater. So Jim Carl there is like, I guess, my best friend. Thank you, Jim. Um, but I've never gotten to go, so I'm excited to actually go this time. Then we're going to be at the Queens World Film Festival... Uh, at the end of March, March 22nd. So that's in New York City in Queens at the uh, Museum of the Moving Image. Which is very cool. Have you, you, you have been there or not? I've been there in, like okay. a long time ago, but it's a great space. Super cool, yeah. Yeah, so that's exciting. And a friend of mine's short is actually playing before us, which is an insane Amazing. coincidence. Small, small town. And that's, even called, smaller business. Well, small town. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we go way back. Like we worked. He's an actor who's now a filmmaker, uh, still also an actor who I worked with like years ago on like a crazy, insane uh, play. Anyways, so that's happening then, and then we're you know there's some other things sort of rumbling, so we'll see how it plays out. And um, you can go to the Facebook pages, camp like Facebook slash Camp Wedding Movie. <laughs> and just search for Camp Wedding on Facebook. You'll find it. It'll be one of them. Yes. <laughs> one, one of the returns. Don't movie. search for it on Google. You can also go to minorapocalypse.com, which is my website that also okay. hosts like all my films. And, and Camp Wedding has a presence there. You can watch the trailer. Um, and then any updates about it will will be there until we launch campweddingmovie.com, which will be launched at some point here in the new future. Excellent. Last question. Define the phrase independent filmmaking as you see it. Oh, my God. Um, How pretentious can you be? No. (laughs) That's that's basically the setup for that question. The answer has so many degrees of pretension. It's like, is it a horror movie? Is it a thriller? I have an answer for that. Um, So, I mean, it used to just mean not major studio, right? But I think that's definitely changed. Um, I mean, I guess I would say, to me, it's anything that happens outside of, like, major industry support. So anything that doesn't involve, like, uh, that's definitely made on spec, 
Like, I don't believe in, like, you call it independent if, like, Fox Searchlight is, like, paying for it from the get-go. That doesn't make any sense to me. Agreed. So I would say it's, like, independent, like, it's, it's, it doesn't have any channel to distribution going in, and it's someone just taking an insane, wild risk, you know, making something. Um, So I, I feel like that eliminates a lot of projects. But it's still, there's so many films that are made. So, yeah, I mean, that would be maybe my definition, is, like, you are jumping off a cliff. Like, there is no indication that this will go anywhere. There's no indication it's going to any kind of festival. Like, this could just be something that, like, resides on a hard drive. Dies on your hard drive. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, No one's even, yeah, I mean, to some extent, I'm sure, no matter what, like, the actors are going to be like, when is that coming out? When can I get my copy? Yeah, I'm getting certain see posts that are just like, it's finally coming. I'm like, oh, sorry. <laughs> so that made my definition. Cool. Fucking A. Uh, and you already mentioned your production company website, uh, but any other socials uh, or anything else you want people to know? I about? mean, yeah. I, uh, I have a very, very politically charged Twitter handle, so I don't know if you want to go there. It's just at Amitav. Watch out. Um, <laughs> I sometimes occasionally post something about films there. <laughs> like, meanwhile, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. That's, that's, I mean, just go to minorapocalypse.com, I think is the, the place to go. Okay. And then we'll hopefully soon be posting. Like, I have some films that you can just watch there, and, and we'll definitely be posting. Get the uh, F space space K out of, it's usually just one space. I don't know. Get the fuck out of Paris is what it's called. <laughs> um, should be posting soon. Awesome, man. Thank you for taking the time and dealing with Bawa here. Bawa, do you want to say goodbye? Bawa, Bawa, Bawa. Bawa is not. No. Bawa hasn't barked since we've been here. He's Thank been you there. for the coffee. Yeah. <laughs> My pleasure. And that is a wrap on episode four of the Filmmaking the Hard Way podcast. Thank you to Greg for schlepping all the way out to the beach uh, from where he's staying downtown. Uh, during rush hour, no less, which is, is, is no small feat uh, in L.A. And... Uh, uh, if you'd like to follow the pod, you can do so on, uh, or subscribe to the pod, rather. You can do so on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, uh, various Android platforms, uh, TuneIn, and probably anywhere else you listen to your pods. And please do, if you could, leave reviews on whatever platform that is, uh, hopefully positive, uh, about this so other people can find it and, and hear what these filmmakers are saying about their process. And... If you want to follow me, you can do so on Twitter at Josh Folan, on Instagram at my shift key is broke, and my production company website is nyehentertainment.com. Till next time.